Welcome back, everybody, to the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renneke, and today we're going to be talking about all things cholesterol and why we as doctors are always talking about them. This is probably the most in-depth and nerdy podcast yet, and please, once again, I promise you it's critically important to your health and well-being, so just stick with me as we learn about this super important topic. I'll try to make it as actionable as possible, so even if you aren't interested in all the biochemistry, I think you'll still glean some really valuable pearls from this talk, so let's get started. Cholesterol is talked about everywhere today, but what actually is it? Well, we all know that we can find it in various foods, but cholesterol actually is a critical structure in our body that we can make in our very own cells. In fact, pretty much every cell in the body can make its own cholesterol because of how important it is, and the vast majority, or about 75% of the cholesterol in our body, we make ourselves, and about 25% comes from the foods we eat. Of the cholesterol that's made in the body, about 20% of that is made in the liver, where about 80% is made by the cells in our body. It helps make up the structure of cells, plays a critical role in brain and nerve function, and helps make hormones in your own body. So if we step back and talk a little bit about the chemistry, cholesterol falls under the umbrella of something called a lipid, which is a naturally occurring molecule, which includes things like fats, waxes, and other oily compounds. And essentially, these are what we call hydrophobic, meaning they can't dissolve in water on their own. Cholesterol is made of carbons and hydrogens and has an esterification site, which hosts a hydroxyl group, or an oxygen and a hydrogen molecule. This free form of cholesterol with nothing bound to that site is called an unesterified cholesterol, and this is considered the quote-unquote active form of cholesterol. On the other hand, when something, usually a fatty acid, is attached to this cholesterol molecule, it becomes esterified, and essentially that's considered an inactive form or storage form of the cholesterol, and is you know where we kind of think about it in a more storage capacity. So essentially you have an active and a storage form of cholesterol. In terms of absorption, only unesterified or active cholesterol can be absorbed by the enterocytes inside the stomach. In fact, most of the food that we consume is actually in the esterified form, so we actually can't absorb too much of what we ingest. And most of the unesterified cholesterol comes from the endogenous creation or the stuff that we make in our cells. So the vast majority of our active cholesterol comes from being made in the cells of our own body. That being said, because we said earlier that cholesterol is hydrophobic, that means it won't play nice with the water in our blood. So how does it get transported through the body? Well, that's where lipoproteins come into play. A common topic that is talked about in conjunction with cholesterol is the term lipoproteins and apolipoproteins. These two terms were super confusing to me, and I still struggle with differentiating them at times, but this is how I explain it to myself. So because we know that cholesterol can't just float in water because it's hydrophobic, it needs a protein to carry it around. A lipoprotein is the name of the entire complex that includes proteins and wrapped up lipids for transport. Inside of those lipoproteins are apolipoproteins, which are specifically bound to lipids. A lipoprotein is circular shaped with a phospholipid outer membrane and has apolipoproteins mixed in with that as well. These apolipoproteins are typically apolipoproteins A or apolipoprotein B, and they're found on different molecules. Apolipoprotein A has a structure that's made of alpha helices and are typically found in higher density lipoproteins like HDL. Apolipoprotein B is made of beta pleated sheets and form kind of lower density lipoproteins found in LDL family. Inside of these lipoproteins are cholesterol esters or the storage form of cholesterol and triglycerides or the most common type of storage fat in the human body. So as you can see in the illustration we have on the screen here, if you're watching, if you're listening, you're just going to have to use your imagination a little bit here, but here you can see the circular structure of the lipoprotein. You can see the outer structure is made up of cholesterol and phospholipids and the core is cholesterol esters and triglycerides to form this night transport sphere. This whole unit is the lipoprotein. So hopefully that makes sense. The whole unit there, there are four main lipoproteins and they are chylomicrons, HDL, LDL, and very low density lipoproteins or VLDL molecules. Chylomicrons are the largest and have an ApoB48 protein as its main structural protein. 
an enzyme called lipoprotein lipase can then degrade the chylomicron by releasing free fatty acids and creating a chylomicron remnant when it needs to supply some of the tissues to the body with different forms of cholesterol. These chylomicron remnants have a greater concentration of cholesterol because we got rid of some of the triglycerides already, and then in return, they can go back to the liver and be repackaged into a VLDL molecule. These VLDL molecules can then have some triglycerides removed from them by the muscle and adipose tissue to become even more cholesterol-rich. Their main structural protein on this is ApoB100, and the removal of more triglycerides turns VLDL molecules into intermediate-density lipoproteins, or IDLs. The IDL molecule is once again more cholesterol-rich and has the same ApoB100 protein core, but it can also lose more triglycerides and some non-ApoB ApoY proteins to become an LDL molecule. Finding our LDL molecules are even further enriched in cholesterol and have an ApoB100 at their core again. So I know that is a lot of word salad, so let's run it back here. Chylomicrons are our biggest and least cholesterol-rich lipoproteins and are filled with triglycerides and get delivered all over the body. Lipoprotein lipase can then cleave off some triglycerides, making chylomicron remnants, which travel back to the liver, where they can be repackaged into VLDL molecules. It's worth noting that chylomicrons have ApoB48 as their core, and all the other lipoproteins have ApoB100 at their core. And this is a critical piece of information, so just keep that nugget of information in your brain for a little bit. The VLDL molecule then processes into an IDL molecule, which then can become an LDL molecule, by becoming more triglyceride-poor and more cholesterol-rich. So as we get smaller in size from chylomicron to LDL, we get more cholesterol rich in terms of density. On the other end of the spectrum, we have HDL, which has the highest density of cholesterol in phospholipids, but it's the smallest molecule. HDL's core structural protein is ApoA1, not ApoB at all. So it's thought that HDL plays a critical role in reverse cholesterol transport from the peripheral tissues to the liver, as well as having some anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and anti-thrombotic properties. However, the full role of HDL is not very well understood, and we'll come back to that a little bit in the future here. So why did I just subject you to that last few paragraphs of torture? You know, well, it's because that lays the foundation for literally everything else. From understanding atherosclerosis, learning about prevention, diagnosing high cholesterol, and to treating it all, it all comes to understanding these concepts. If you want some practical take-home tips on what to look for or what to talk about with your doctor, I'll summarize that all at the end. But hang with me here as we start to advance here into some less nerdy and more practical topics, hopefully. So now that you are a newly minted expert in cholesterol and lipoproteins, you may be asking, well, why does this stuff even matter? And I'll tell you that atherosclerosis or the buildup of plaque in our arteries is probably the most common prevalent condition that I see day in and day out as a physician. It's pervasive, it's worldwide, and it's not going anywhere. When we get too much plaque built up in our heart or our brain, we can have heart attacks or strokes along with a bunch of other vascular related problems. So we wanna prevent that if we can. To dig a bit deeper, we really care about cholesterol because it plays a direct role on the development of atherosclerosis. Without going into too much detail, the process of atherosclerosis basically includes the small lipoproteins like LDL going into the smaller endothelium cells that line the artery, getting oxidized and starting this inflammatory process. Your body then sends macrophages or a type of white blood cell to the area to try to clean them up, but if there's too many of them, then they start to form a plaque and kind of sweep it on the rug and stabilize the situation temporarily, but this plaque can continue to grow and eventually obstruct the blood vessel or can even get dislodged or disconnected. You know, it can flow into the blood vessel and get stuck somewhere else, causing things like a heart attack or a stroke. Also, it appears that the process of the LDL particles getting into the endothelium is driven by a concentration gradient. So if there's lots of LDL molecules in the area, some of them will naturally move from an area of higher concentration in the blood to an area of lower concentration behind the endothelium. So that's why we really want to focus on controlling our cholesterol, because it's the cumulative addition of these molecules and the inflammation in the endothelium that leads to problems down the line. 
two weeks of high cholesterol isn't the problem, but 30 years of high cholesterol will add up to a bunch of small problems over time and it'll eventually lead up to one big problem. And that's why we care so much about finding this out and finding it out early. Now let's answer the question, how do we diagnose high cholesterol? You've probably gone to the doctor at some point and had your cholesterol checked. When you get a test, there's typically something we get that's called a cholesterol panel, which includes your total cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, and either your LDL or something called non-HDL cholesterol, which is kind of a surrogate marker for LDL. The total cholesterol number is the total amount of cholesterol being carried on all of the lipoproteins. This includes cholesterol on LDL, VLDL, and HDL. There are some labs that use calculations to estimate the total cholesterol using a factor of the triglycerides, so it's just worth mentioning that total cholesterol may be slightly higher or lower than the real number. However, that's okay because this isn't the most useful part of the lipid panel anyways. The triglyceride number that you usually see reports a total number of triglycerides or a type of fat that's carried on lipoproteins. The HDL value is the amount of cholesterol carried on the HDL molecules, and the LDL is the amount of cholesterol carried on the LDL molecules. Additionally, you may see a test called non-HDL cholesterol, and that's essentially all the cholesterol coming from non-HDL molecules like LDL and VLDL. In terms of practical importance, the LDL and non-HDL numbers in triglycerides are probably the most useful tests we have in determining the risk of future cardiac events or an indication of your general metabolic health. It's also worth mentioning that ApoB tests are starting to become more popular, and with good reason. Remember before when I said to store that critical nugget of information about ApoB being the core of the VLDL, IDL, and LDL? Well, this is where that comes into play. The ApoB can determine the actual number of lipoproteins rather than the cholesterol they carry, as there's an ever-expanding body of literature suggesting that this test, the ApoB, is better at determining the risk of future heart disease. However, this is not a part of the standard lipid panel and would have to be ordered specifically, but it's getting pretty darn affordable and I've started to adopt it in my clinical practice as well. Now, for completeness sake, I'll tell you what the quote-unquote normal values of the lipid panel are, and although I'll explain my approach a little bit more in detail later. A normal cholesterol is, should be about less than 200 milligrams per deciliter. An optimal LDL would be less than 100, and high is for sure above 160. HDL should be above 40, and triglycerides should be less than 150, but once again, this is just a ballpark, and a standard lipid panel doesn't quite tell you the whole picture. If you happen to get an ApoB test, an abnormal test would be greater than 130, but ideally we want to get that way under 100, I mean even under 60 if possible, but lower is usually better. What typically happens next is that as physicians will use these numbers in addition to a bunch of other factors like do you smoke, do you take medication for high blood pressure, do you have diabetes, what's your age, your sex, you know this kind of helps determine a 10 or 30 year risk score for your future cardiac complications. It's important to note that a single number isn't used, but rather a score that encompasses a lot of different factors. It kind of helps give us some guidance on how we should manage your cholesterol in the future. So now that we finally know the numbers, what do we do with this information? Well, like I said before, these numbers don't just live in isolation and we consider them in the overall context of your health. However, the standard goal is that you should lower your LDL if it's elevated because that seems to have the strongest association with decreasing your risk for future cardiac events. It would seem that raising HDL would work to improve outcomes, but a bunch of studies have shown that raising your HDL doesn't really produce any significant improvements in outcomes, so that is no longer our goal. If you are a relatively low-risk individual, then maybe all you need is lifestyle management to improve your numbers. But other people, maybe those with a strong genetic link or something like that, might have high cholesterol, and it might require medication to get your cholesterol lower. It's going to be an individual choice for everybody, but there are definitely multiple approaches that can be taken. In terms of lifestyle changes, dietary habits can definitely play a big role in your cholesterol numbers. Eating lots of fiber can help improve your numbers, and the general recommendations are to shoot for at least 30 grams of daily fiber for, from things like fruits, legumes, vegetables, stuff like that. And it appears to be an inverse relationship between fiber and cholesterol, meaning that the more fiber you eat, the lower your cholesterol is. The other big dietary habit that seems to make a big difference in lowering your cholesterol is lowering your consumption of saturated fat and replacing that with an increase in unsaturated fat. 
Saturated fats from animal products like red meat, lard, and butter seem to be the biggest offenders, so trying to replace them with fats from things like salmon, nuts, avocados, olive oil, and other plant sources seems to be the best way to help lower your cholesterol. Other lifestyle factors that can improve cholesterol include exercise, obviously, and maintaining a healthy body composition, but I won't go too much into that because we've had previous podcasts that have talked about that, so you know that those are two of the most important pillars that we're striving for. Okay, I can imagine that everybody's eyes are pretty much glazed over right now, so I'm going to try to take us home with my hopefully practical approach to cholesterol management. If you got a standard lipid panel from your doctor, we can definitely start there. Take a look at your LDL or your non-HDL number, as these are the numbers that I look at the closest. I always think about moving in a stepwise fashion, and it's the same with cholesterol. My goal targets for LDL are usually specific for each patient, but my goal would be to get that number under 100, and honestly, the lower the better. Remember, we're essentially using LDL or the non-HDL numbers as a proxy for the ApoB, which tells us the total number of particles of the lipoproteins floating around, which we know is helpful because we know that the more lipoproteins we have around, the more opportunities there are for those lipoproteins to get stuck into the vessel walls and start to cause trouble. So that being said, the lower seems to be better because there doesn't seem to be bad outcomes with lower numbers. In terms of triglyceride, I would also like to see them on the lower side, but I'll usually look at these numbers just to make sure they're not elevated as well because I kind of use them in conjunction with LDL to make a whole more holistic picture of what's going on. In terms of triglycerides, I would also like to see them on the lower side, but I'll usually look at those numbers to kind of make sure they aren't elevated as well, but I kind of use them in conjunction with LDL to get a more holistic picture of what's going on. You know, it doesn't show that a Elevated triglyceride directly leads to issues, but it's more of a marker of something could be going on. From here, I'll think about other things like your blood pressure, body composition, blood sugars, and basically all the other core components we've already talked about on previous podcasts, and we come up with a plan from there. This may include just some lifestyle changes or maybe start some medication. Every case will be different, but just remember that we're trying to help the future version of you out today by controlling your cholesterol as much as possible. So next time you see a doctor, if it's possible, ask them to add an apolipoprotein B test with that lipid panel, as it'll help give you some more information on how aggressive you'll need to be to manage your cholesterol. If you stuck with me this long, I just want to say thanks. I hope this gave you some good information, and I feel a little bit more comfortable about talking with cholesterol with your doctor and what you should be looking for with your lab work. If you found this helpful, it would mean the world to me if you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared it with a friend. Thanks so much for joining me today. Now get off the internet, go be active, and enjoy your life. We'll see you next time. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.